Next on Rugby Wrap-Up, part one of USA Eagles men's 15s head coach Gary Gold in the Rugby Wrap-Up hot seat. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy in New York City, and I have the pleasure of talking with Mr. Gary Gold, the head coach of Team USA's men's 15s squad. Gary, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Now, coach, you did get some grief on Twitter recently and so, or in social media. And what we saw, what we used to see was you just kind of water off a duck, but you actually bit back on social media, which I thought was kind of cool. What, what got you over that hump there? You know, Matt, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon, you know, what, what goes on um, on social media at the moment. You know, um, it, it, you, you know it's, it's time and place as well. You know, I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough trip up to Canada. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people behind the keyboards, you know, the, the warriors behind the keyboards forget that, uh, you know, there's human beings here as, uh, as well, you know. And um, I think one of the things as a coach is you get protective of your players. You know, you do, you know, and you see, you know, the abuse that starts taking place towards the players and, you know, it's, it's it's funny when you're old enough and ugly enough like myself, you, you seem to be able to take that. It doesn't really matter anymore. But, you know, when that starts becoming pointed at young kids and young guys are just trying to do the best, you start getting a little bit protective over that. So I probably shouldn't have bitten uh, in hindsight now I think about it. And Well, I thought I thought maybe Mike Friday hacked your account. <laughs> no, no, no. Giza has got his own issues, I'm sure. <laughs> But the bottom line is, you know, let's let's take it down a notch, everybody, with the rhetoric. And then you actually sounded, you showed that you actually may know a thing or two about coaching in the rematch. Again, you know, Matt, I think we've spoken about this before. You know, I I I have a strange philosophy around coaching. You know, I don't. I think when the team does really, really well, I'm not necessarily sure it's all about the coach. And just just as I believe that sometimes when the team doesn't go so well, it's not always necessarily about the coach. So, you know, I feel that way when things went well. You know, I think, you know, time time in the saddle and a little bit more time together and, you know, just a silly little thing like having AJ back a little bit longer and having your captain back a little bit longer and not having been flown in and locked in his room like he was in, uh, like, like he was in, uh, in Guantanamo Bay, you know, and being let out the night before. It's silly little things like that, but that's the life of COVID at the moment. Uh, it, it just was. It was a. It was a better week. It was just a better week, and and you know we also have to take responsibilities. We think we did things better than we, we did the week before, and we were, by the way, masters of our own destiny the week before. You know, I just want to make it really clear that you know we lost the week before was one hundred percent our fault. It wasn't anybody else's fault. There was no excuses. There was no travel. There was no. Uh, there was. There were no excuses. I mean, it was a difficult week, but. I reckon it must have been a difficult week for Canada as well. It's a difficult week for everybody at the moment. So there weren't any excuses. It just, you know, we just did the things we wanted to do the first week. We just did them better the second week, you know. And um, so I'm really proud of the boys, the fact that they, they they stepped up to the plate. And, you know, that's only it's only halfway now, you know. We've we've got over the first two hurdles in in this 400-meter race. We've still got another 200 meters to go. And, you know, possibly, well, not possibly, most definitely the toughest 200 meters still to come with Uruguay coming around the corner. So, um, yeah, we, we're hard at work at the moment now and excited to just get back next week, back onto the field. So I might be completely oversimplifying this because I am an amateur. I'm not one of these warriors with the keyboard. 
And I, I, because I've been such a shitty rugby player for so long, I actually understand a little bit about what you guys are going through on the pitch, but it seemed like ball in, ball in the air, man in the air, ball on the ground, man on the ground. It, it felt like at times those two, th- two things didn't happen like they should have. Was that something that you, that you felt was missing or that you worked on or what was it that was there one thing that you worked on? changed everything it, it is simplifying it the way you put it but i mean it is it is a good fact i mean uh you know in the canada game i don't think we retrieved one ball out of the air not not necessarily the ball that we kicked any ball that was kicked i don't think we retrieved out of the air and i think we we're very much better you know when we came back to to the states and we, we were in colorado and uh, we were a lot better with our aerial game but it, it was more also around the momentum of the game matt and what i mean by that is is i mean uh this is where this is where people misunderstand that the All Blacks are past masters at this, absolute past masters at this. And that is that winning the momentum game around the field. So I'll give you an, I'll give you an example of what I'm trying to say is um, if, if, if you've got a line out uh, just, just, inside your, uh, just inside your own 22 and your philosophy there is that you want to play territory. In other words, you, you ideally want to play, you want to retain possession, but you want to play further down the field. So you don't necessarily want to put yourself under a huge amount of pressure in that area of the field and overplay, but you do you do want to retain possession. So you will launch a play that hopefully manipulates the backfield that you can kick the ball and then get the ball back again. The problem is that's the plan. The problem is if you kick the ball and you don't achieve it, then everybody's sitting there quite yeah. correctly and going, why the hell are these guys kicking the ball away? How dumb is that? And that's the winning the momentum game and understanding that it really is a game of chess. You know, if I move my rook into that position, I really need you to do that and that so that yeah. that move I've done is going to work out. And if you don't do that or you do something else that I haven't thought of, then I've got to react to that. And that's where the game is actually incredibly fascinating is, you know, so much of the time is what was the plan versus how did you execute it? And perhaps maybe it's a player or two that makes a change. Like you look at Quade Cooper for the Wallabies and you had AJ McGinty finally rested, acclimated and in the starting lineup. And I'm not knocking the guys that replace him, but he is, he, you know, you guys go as he goes right now. I mean, you'll go far further with AJ, I think. And I, and I'm not trying to put you on a spot here. This is just my opinion. Um, AJ is your, your captain and probably your best 10 and yeah. you you know, yeah. And, and, you know, you're taking a completely neutral example, you know, post-Liberation Irish Lions series, everyone's now up in arms about why didn't they play Finn Russell from the beginning because of what he looked like in the third test. Uh, and it's now well documented that he, he went on and gave two fingers up to the coach and thought, well, I'm just going to play the way I want to play, which is yeah. I'm a mercurial player, so I'm just going to play that way. So it's really interesting, those dynamics. And it's, I, I, I suppose, going back to the original question, it's, when, you know, we spend morning, noon and night thinking about that and trying to plan that and then try and get it onto the training field and try and get it executed. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. You know, then, you know, then you have to go back to your hotel room and, you know, see some guy who's never put the time and energy into the thought. But, hey, you know what? I mean, if, if I don't like it, I shouldn't do the job. So, you know, possibly I need to... I also need to uh, shut up a little bit and just get on with the job. But, but that's the dynamics of it. And, and the kicking game, as you say... You know, the kicking game is is it, it's a very good observation you make because it is a it's a critical part of the game at the moment. Now it's a part I actually personally believe. Uh, very interestingly enough, I had some phone calls with some friends of mine 
who are in the UK and a couple of coaches there. And obviously they've just finished the first weekend of the premiership, you know, and there was a game that was played over the weekend. Um, I won't give any names. In fact, people can work it out themselves. Like there were 40 kicks in the first half. Yeah. 40 kicks in the first half. Yeah. Well, World Rugby have brought in this uh, 50-22 rule to, to encourage people to run. And there were 40 kicks in the first half. So again, you know, sometimes, as they say, the thing about common sense is it's not very common. So the, the problem is it, 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 doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to be working what they're doing at the moment. Now, if, if, if they're thinking that by bringing in the 50-22 is, in, is increasing the running game, it doesn't seem to be working from that point of view. Do me a favor, Coach. Do, for the folks at home, explain the 50-22 briefly. So basically what they've done now is they've said that if you kick the ball from within your own half, hence the 50, so anywhere in your own half, anywhere in your own half, if you kick the ball and, and, and it bounces and goes out in the opposition's 22, it's actually your lineup down you there. You get the ball back. Right. You get the ball back. So the idea behind it was that we or a team will panic that teams are going to use that as a strategy and leave more men back because they, they want to protect the two, uh, uh, the, the 22s on either side. Right. So they might leave a fullback and a wingback, or they might leave the, the 10 and, and the, the blindside wingback to protect that area. And then you've got your nine, who's a sweeper. So then there's potentially three people back, maybe even a fourth, which then obviously means there's 12, 11, 12, or 13 in the front line, but hopefully maybe as few as 11 in the front line. Think <clears throat> upon if there's four people back, and then it's, it'll encourage you to run. But all that it's really done is... It hasn't necessarily, there's scenarios where we've worked through where we, we will look to leave people back, but it hasn't necessarily changed our entire thinking. So people are now starting to go for the 50-22s um, and are kicking the ball a lot more. And now you also have the dropouts. I'm actually not sure about the logic behind the dropout. Um, that part I don't know, but I do know that, uh, for example, I mean, I can only quote something that happened to us it was, a rare, it was a, one of the interesting issues in the game that, that we played up in Newfoundland was uh, there, was quite a, there was quite a strong wind behind us in the first half, like, like re- really, really strong wind behind us. And uh, if you remember, we started the game off, scored early, in fact, got a penalty trial within the third or fourth minute. Uh, we drove Canada quite, quite well. So we thought like into the wind, what we were trying to do is keep the ball close a little bit, uh, up front a little bit more. Uh, and we had a sequence a little bit later in the game that was a sequence of pick and goes, and we very nearly scored. In fact, we were held up over the line. Uh, right. Butcher was held up over, over the line. Right. And it was contentious whether we scored or we didn't score. The ref said we didn't score. Um, and from there, it was this goal line 22. Now, what it should have been, should have been our scrum because the ball was held up. Right. So from that, we would have had another really good attacking opportunity, a great attacking opportunity because our scrum was going really well at that stage. And, and obviously, we want to keep the ball in hand. But the law change meant that it was going to be a goal line dropout. They had Hurricane Hilda behind them. And the next minute, we were fielding the ball down in our own 22. So it felt, compl- it felt like you were playing a different game. It was just a weird, it was a weird dynamic. Uh, and, and, and to be fair, a week later, you know, um, a similar thing happened. We kicked the ball. AJ tried to kick a 50-22. It actually went behind their goal line. They tapped it down, which meant they had to kick the goal line 22, kick the goal line 22, and Ruben kicked a drop goal off that. So we yeah. got a benefit of that. So it swings and roundabouts. If Ruben misses, if Ruben missed that drop kick, 
What would your thoughts have been? Well, it would have been fine. Okay. It would have been a 22 again, so they would have kicked the ball back to us again. So it's kind of a win-win in that scenario for him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Win-win, yeah. 100%. I mean, if they wanted to run it from there, because he caught it just inside our half, I'm happy for, for them to run it from there. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was actually something Ruben had practiced the week before, funnily enough. And he said to me, you know, we because we line up five yards behind where the kicker's going to kick, the, you're not allowed to be five metres, big bottom. And Ruben was one of the guys in the backfield, and he had actually said to me, he said to me the week before, like, if they kick this down my throat, can I go for a drop goal? So I said, sure. So he said, watch this. And he kicked three or four and uh, missed every single one of them. So I said, well, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> That's the way it goes, right? But, but you know, I, got, I think what we all got to see now is two very viable, potential lethal weapons with the foot at nine and 10 for you. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, with a foot, you know, Ruben and AJ are, of, you know, they, they, they're very useful individuals, you know, um, as it is Nate and as is Luke Carty. So, you know, I'm delighted to say, and obviously everybody knows how, how well we'll, we'll make it go. So um, it's, a, it's exciting that we're starting to build some depth now and uh, starting to feel that we're getting into things a little bit now. I'm just, just happy that we're playing a little bit more regularly, you know, which, which, is, which makes a big difference and makes a big difference for the guys just to get to, back to some rugby again, Matt. All right, Gary, let's take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back, and we want to talk about the upcoming matches. We'll be right back with Mr. Gary Gold, the head coach of Team USA. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig & Whistle, on West 36th Street. I've been blind since I was four, and I've never seen a beer commercial or a beer label. None of that stuff influences me. I drink beer because of the taste. And my beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon. It has a taste on the flavor. What do you think is on the label? I think there's a, a naked woman riding on a unicorn, jumping over fire. Oh, that's good beer. Let's get to what's in front of you guys. You have a couple of big opponents in some big venues. We do. We do, yeah. I mean, you know, we've got Uruguay back-to-back. Um, you know, and, and the fact of the matter is, um, you know, they've literally just beaten Argent- Argentina A last weekend, and they, they fell short this weekend. Um, so they're playing regular rugby. Uh, they've played week in and week out while we've been playing Canada. They've been playing Chile, and then they've played, as I said, they've been playing Argentina. Um, they're an accomplished team. They've come a long way, Uruguay have, in the last couple of years. Um, and, and um, I mean, nobody needs more of a wake-up call than us. You know, I mean, we, we slipped up to them a couple of years ago in the ARC after beating them convincingly down in Montevideo and winning the ARC there in, in 2018 or 19, I think it was, 2018. <clears throat> um, so we know what a good team they are. You know, they've, they've had a lot of good investment. They've had a lot of good coaching that's gone in there. So... They are going to be a, a very formidable opponent, um, a very tough opponent, and obviously did very well in the last World Cup, having that uh, that surprise upset against Fiji. So, um, yeah, we've got our hands full in the next two weeks. It's going to be particularly tough, 
Uh, we've got them in, in Glendale again in the first week, and then we go down to Montevideo. And I wasn't necessarily looking past, or maybe I was looking past Uruguay in, in asking you that question, but I was referring to the game you have in D.C. against the All Blacks now that the Ireland match is off. But really, I guess, you know, your Uruguay is the more important of the two. No, well, I, I think in meaning, in, in, well, for two reasons. In, in meaning-wise, I mean, obviously the games against Uruguay our World Cup qualifier games. You know, if we win those on aggregate, you know, we're, we're going to the next Rugby World Cup, which is everything that we need to be putting. Those are where we need to be putting our eggs in that basket at the moment. You know, that's everything we need to be doing at the moment. Uh, we 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 need to secure that Rugby World Cup position so that we can start up planning in earnest right now, two years out. You know, um, some would say it's arguably even too late, and and it's not. It's not too late. Um, but, but because it, you know the rest of the world are in the same position and the rest of the world have also had to go through COVID. But um, the next two years are going to be critical for us in terms of planning and wanting to go to the World Cup and definitely put up a better show than we did. Well, in any previous World Cup that we've ever been to, you know, and uh, the time is now, Matt. You know, we really have to go to this next World Cup. I think off the field, we've done a lot of things in terms of building and it was always going to be a tough pool, the, the pool we had before, and it was always going to be tough to get a result. Um, and some good performances, but no, no good results. But this next Rugby World Cup, we've got to go to. And if we want to go there and we want to, we want to be serious about it, then we, we are going to have to get some proper planning and preparation in, which is going to have to start now. So that's the reason why these Eurobar games are particularly important. But what, what is, is obviously equally important is us getting used to playing those tougher oppositions, particularly against the All Blacks. You know, the All Blacks are, are coming to town. They're, they're, they're on their way to going to Europe. So. They are bringing their best team. And you know the All Blacks are coming loaded for bear. They they don't come to America and play with a B-side or a C-side. They are coming to win with their good guys. Well, no, the All Blacks don't not show up. It's, you know, that's one of their characteristics. You know, that's what's made them number one in the world for so many years, so consistently is they do not not show up. You know, that doesn't happen to them. And, um, you know, very rarely can you point a finger and say, oh, the All Blacks had a bad day today. They may lose a game, but it's not that they've had a bad day or... So they're coming with a full-strength squad. Um, unfortunately, it's out of the Red 9 window and we can't have a full-strength squad. So that's rather unfortunate. We're going to have to send our European players back. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, what an unbelievable experience for our MLR guys. You know, what an unbelievable experience for the group of guys that we've had together since June, July this year. You know, and we're starting with those two games in, in Europe and then going through the Canada and Uruguayan series is, you know, so... This is going to be, you know, for us, this is going to be at this moment in time, a, a great end to our season, our international season, to play teams of this nature in, in, in such amazing stadiums. It's going to be very exciting. And just like that, we are out of time, Coach. Thank you for coming on and thank you for tuning in. Please look for part two of this interview along with our intimate chat with English legend Chris Robshaw, now with the San Diego Legion, the drinker with Colby Marshall and Zach Lanning and the new stuff in the works. Read the United Rugby Championship, the URC, and our college rugby show. 